Welcome to the Sanctuary Podcast. My name is Daniel Whitehead. I am the CEO of Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries. And during COVID-19, I am also the host of our podcast. Uh, we're doing something a bit different with our podcast in this season. And basically, we're talking to friends of ours, people we know from around the world that are going to talk about how they're doing in the midst of COVID-19. Um, today, we're joined by a good friend of mine, someone who actually features in the Sanctuary course, Uh uh, a pastor here in Vancouver, Canada, Alistair Stern. Alistair, it's good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Good to see you, Daniel. Glad to be here. Thanks for the invitation to join the conversation. Oh, yeah. No, it's great. It's great to have you with us. And it's great that we have a canon in our midst. Canon <laughs> Alistair. We're going to have to explain that or just leave the mystery. Canon Stern. Yeah. I know you love it when, when people refer to you as a canon, but um, which is true. Um, Alistair is a... a you know, as well as being a spiritual leader in the city of Vancouver and a friend of, of uh, Sanctuaries, he's a friend of mine. And uh, there's a lot of nice things I could say about Alistair, but I know he would squirm if I did. So I'll resist saying that, but just say that we're delighted to have him with us. Um, so Alistair, how are you doing? How are you doing personally at the moment in the midst of these these really strange and difficult times? I found that question has almost become absurd in some way. Like when people ask it, I don't even know how to answer. Uh, there, there was a while, I think around the four week point where I, I just didn't know, I, I didn't know how to answer it. And it wasn't that I was numb. I was still feeling things, highs and lows, but uh, it's just so strange to answer. And um, I'm at the point now where I can say I'm doing as well as you could expect during a global pandemic. That's kind of my go-to response. And when I think about the privileges and the, um, the resources that my wife and I have as a family, we're doing very well. We both are still working. We have food on the table. We have a roof over our head. Uh, we're able to wash our hands. You know, We're able to social distance safely. So uh, I try in that sense to count my blessings. And yet, um, you know, as a pastor, I often talk about we're made in the image of a social God, the triune God. We're made for relationships. And then that gets changed on you and you realize just how deeply you're made for relationships. Because I look at my life and I think, you know, my day to day hasn't changed that much. I mean, it's changed. Um, but, you know, I still get up, have breakfast, do my work. I can still go to the grocery store. I can still go to some places to get space outside. Uh, and it's not like I had the most active social life as a pastor beyond this. So, you know, the, the and yet I can go through my day and think about all the little social interactions that are now gone and then how insignificant they seemed in, in a given day, you just take them for granted. And now how deeply significant you realize they are. And so in that sense, I'm really, I think like many people starting to feel the effects of that. Um, most days I either wake up feeling okay and go to bed not feeling okay, or I wake up not feeling okay and go to bed feeling okay. I don't, I don't think there's been many days where I've gone through it and been like, hey, that felt normal. I felt okay. And so um, to use more specific language, you know, I, I, I still have moments of deep joy and, and gratitude and happiness in a given day. Uh, but I can also feel a bit of despair and dread. Um, I, I wouldn't go as far as saying I've fallen into uh, depression, although I can be prone to that and, and I'm grateful for that. But I do, I would describe it as uh, you, you kind of start feeling like you're crawling in your skin. Um, mm -hmm. I feel a little claustrophobic during this time. And 
and just feel, um, even if I go outside and, and take all the precautions to do that, it doesn't help me escape that feeling. Like that feeling follows me because you go outside and everyone's looking at each other a little differently. Everyone's interacting a little differently. Um, and so the prolonged nature of these measures, um, yeah, it takes a toll on anyone's mental health. It takes a toll on mine. And uh, I've just had to press into my regular rhythms, uh, exercising. I downloaded this like seven minute exercise app because that's about all I can handle. Um, you know, gratitude journal, uh, journaling in general, uh, my daily prayers, uh, reaching out to friends who I can talk with. And the one thing that was kind of an aha moment for my wife and I was we we're both getting exhausted from Zoom meetings or whatever video conferencing software you use. My wife's a mental health counselor. So she's, you know, on a given day doing five back-to-back -back counseling sessions through video. And I'm doing all these meetings through video and you just start to feel taxed. And we have a group of friends we meet with on Friday nights for our Sabbath dinner. And we've kept doing that through video conference. And a couple of weeks ago, one of our friends initiated a games night through that. And it was the first time on Zoom where we realized, wow, the reason part of why this is taxing for a variety of reasons, of course, but one reason um, is because you're always just talking about such intense stuff hmm. and it's such intentional stuff. It's always so focused that you lose that kind of organic play levity. And so just playing these games that our friend found that worked over Zoom, I suddenly felt human again in a different way. Hmm. And so now I'm learning how to balance that. And that's actually been really critical for my mental health at this time. So there's a bit of a snapshot. Of wow. That's that's really good to hear, that that honesty. I, that's, that thing about play is really interesting. I, I was... um. Uh, I think Annie, but my wife, I say Annie because Alistair knows Annie, but I think Annie was watching... A, a video series that Gordon Newfelt has released for parents in the midst of COVID-19 and excellent stuff. Um, Gordon Newfelt being a Vancouver-based therapist, but family systems therapist. And um, he emphasizes the importance of play, saying, you know, play is kind of one of the main things that, um, or, or creating a space in which our, our children can play will keep them healthy, keep them well. So it's like the arts, it's music, it's, you know, play can be anything. And I, I would say it's like that soul restoring stuff. And of course, the irony is we talk about our children, like, well, our children need all these things to be healthy. We need them. Like, yeah. we need to be laughing and playing. And um, and it's an essential part of our wellness, our well-being that we we can do that. So I just think it's great that you've, that's a real gift that you've given us in, in emphasizing the importance of play for you and your family. Yeah, I'm fortunate our um, condo tower downtown, the ninth floor is an outdoor kind of garden picnic area. No one's using it. So every day I take the girls up there for gym hmm. and they've invented the game called Chase Daddy, which turns into my cardio. So like, because <laughs> they, I don't know what it is about kids under 10, but they just have endless energy for running. Hmm. And, you know, I'm coming close to 40 and that's not the case. And, and so, you know, 15 to 20 minutes of me nonstop running as they chase me and try to catch. And, and you know, it, it, it has multiple benefits, the play, the laughter, like that, that's for the soul, but you're also getting exercise. And so, um, yeah, it is those little things where you're like, oh yeah, this is why life is good. Mm. And this is why yeah. these measures are important is that we want to preserve this quality of life for people who are at risk. And uh, we want to preserve these moments of goodness 
because uh, they really matter. And I think, again, we take them for granted when we don't have a crisis around us. And so um, it helps. I, I can't remember who wrote the article. Um, you know, I'm working on a doctorate and my research is into joy. Uh, and, and someone was talking about during this time, don't pursue happiness, pursue meaning. Mm. And that's been huge for me. Um, so I I'm being more purposeful in the actions I take. So some friends of ours, they had a baby during this time and all of their families out of town and can't come visit them. Uh, so every Friday uh, we're doing this collaborative dinner where I cook the main food and then I go to a friend's and drop it off and they cooked another part. And then I bring all those ingredients to our friend uh, you know, they've, and they're, they're just so grateful and we're grateful. And it's those little meaning making moments that uh, suddenly infuse this time with significance rather than um, a confusion or, you know, the thing that I loathe the most of somehow having to make the most of this, this epidemic or pandemic. Yeah. Um, and so meaning making has been another thing for me of Oh yeah, that helps preserve my mental health, even if I'm feeling low on a given moment. Mm. It's so interesting. The, the, one of the threads I think in in these uh, interviews I'm doing is uh, the rediscovery of things which are patently obvious on paper, but in experience, in the experience of what we're going through uh, as a as a human race, uh, we're rediscovering stuff almost like in technicolor. We're going like before we were talking about rest how like intentional rest, the discipline of rest. And we're kind of going, yeah, I think I'm realizing that regular intentional rest is important. It's like this eureka moment. And of course it's like, uh, yeah, Sabbath, uh, like is obvious. And similarly play, it's like yesterday I was running with my kids. We, we just were done trying to get them running around, right? So we were, we did this thing where me, my wife and each of our children, our four-year-old son, our seven-year-old girl were sprinting across this 50-yard uh, area and we were just timing each other and then adding up our time doing a bit of math you see teaching them math whilst clever. doing PE clever um seeing who was fastest and who and uh so of course I'm I, I go last and I'm there and I'm like just bombing it across this field and it suddenly dawns on me there's people watching and I think in any other time in history there might be a few people going why is that guy doing that now but in the context of this story it makes sense it makes sense that a family would go outside and run around and be making each other laugh and have these, this time of brevity um, until I nearly pulled my hamstring sprinting. So that's what getting close to 40 does for you as well. So, um, yeah, I just think it's, it's yeah, I, I, I'm always loath to say that there is a this time of being a, 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 a time of blessing. It, it's not. This is a horrendous time. And for most people in the world, it is an, a, an unbelievably horrendous time. People can't afford to put food on the table at the moment. Yeah. But... But there are strangely these moments of clarity that have come, I think, because we're being forced into this place where we suddenly can say, or I found myself saying, wow, God, thank you for teaching me that. That's, mm -hmm. I really, I don't want to forget this. Um, and I think our children are one of the, for me, they're one of the, the key teachers for me in, in my life when I take the time to listen to them. Yeah, and as people of faith, I think, we are somewhat prone to cast God in very serious terms. Yeah. Theology is serious business. And yet, um, at least the canon of scripture gives this picture of a, a joyful God who delights in creation. I love the Psalm that says he plays with the Leviathan, you know, God at play, mm -hmm. God sharing joy. Um, if someone wants to explore that a bit, there's a Jesuit priest named James Martin 
great writer. He's humorous. And he wrote a book called Between Heaven and Mirth. And it's just an exploration of of joy and humor and laughter and its role in spirituality. And I think um, they're actually, I would say, characters of resilience within humanity, too, mm. um, that we actually need those things because we can't handle the seriousness of this pandemic. Like we literally can only think about it so long before, however we're wired, you know, whether it's from our social circumstances or biology, like we just stop thinking about it and it's a self-protective measure. And, and so levity, laughter, humor uh, are necessary during this time and, and ways that we can care for one another and, and balancing that with also compassion for those who are deeply suffering. Um, Mm. It's actually having that resilience that will allow us then to enter into that space of, of care, which again, we forget means to cry out. We can only cry out so much before, the tears stop flowing and our hearts harden. And, and so we need to balance those things out at a time like this and anytime really. Mm, very good. So Alistair, you already mentioned some of your uh, parenting skills at this time that you're honing. Um, how is, how, how is your vocate, your various vocations? I'm thinking your vocation as a parent, as a, as a husband, as a spiritual leader, just maybe explore some of those uh, strands for a moment. Yeah, it's, it was really a time of upheaval initially. Um, I feel like I've, I've settled into a rhythm at this point, but uh, as I mentioned, my wife's a mental health counselor. And at first we weren't sure, you know, would we see a drop in clients? Would she just need to be home with the kids once the school closed since there wouldn't be clients anyways. But if anything, we've seen uh, an increase of work for her. And so we were in a situation where my wife, Julia takes clients on Mondays and Tuesdays during the day. And usually the girls are in school, now they're home. And so I decided to be home with the girls Monday and Tuesday, uh, which is a reduction of about 20% of my work. Uh, And because I'm committed to rest, I wasn't willing to just say, oh, I'll just do that as my days off. It's like, no, those those are a different kind of work. And I used to, as a husband, pay lip service to that. Be like, oh yeah, like that's a different kind of work. Now I have a a more honest uh, acknowledgement of, first off, my my ignorance and and now the, the the true amount of work that is for a mother or a teacher. Uh, and so, you know, I'm, I'm doing a different kind of work Monday, Tuesday with the girls, um, you know, Ansley's six, Maggie's four. And so they, they have very different needs and that's very hard for, especially our four-year-old who, who doesn't want two, three hours of structured learning in a day and doesn't need it. Um, and we're learning how to manage that. But honestly, Mondays and Tuesdays have become the most life-giving days of my week. And by the time Tuesday ends, yeah, I'm tired and I'm ready to do some of my work. But I also feel a little sad. I, I start looking forward to next Monday. So it's it's been, a again, one of those strange gifts of this time uh, to get more time with my children. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so then, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my work as a pastor, you know, in three and a half days now, really. And so it's a strange time for me because my focus is on uh, leading our team well and communicating well with our church. Um, right away, we came up with three values for us to get through this COVID season. Um, you know, we kind of we we co-opted some language that I think a lot of churches are using, which is we want to be a non-anxious presence for the good of the city, and we're going to do that by collaborating. Uh, and by that, we mean collaborating with health authorities, with the government, with other churches, to discern the best measures forward. Uh, we're going to pursue love instead of fear. 
even if love means staying away from your neighbor, um, that's what we're going to do. And then we're going to be creative in finding ways to connect and engage. And so those are the three values we came up with as a team and that we've been using to navigate decisions at this time. Um, and that's that's been wild as a church because I've had to be cautious about feeling the need to start a whole bunch of new things. Uh, I've, I've watched pastors and some of them I think have capacity, some may not, but in lieu of Sundays, all of a sudden now they're, they're doing more than what they used to do. They're teaching the Bible every day. They're doing a podcast on top of it. They're, they're more engaged and, and that's concerning. And I, I worry that that might lead to burnout. And so I've, I've had to be cautious about balancing, okay, how do I lead our community well through this time? Uh, but how do I also take care of myself so that I'll have enough resilience um, for however long this is going to take? Because even once it ends, we can anticipate that, it won't, well, it's not over because there's the rebuilding of the economy. There's the long lasting social effects that we can't even anticipate. Uh, so, you know, adaptive leadership talks about getting on the balcony and trying to get a perspective. And so as much as I can, I'm trying to do that. But it's also hard to do that when you're very much on the ground floor with everyone else going through the uncertainty of not knowing what we'll be allowed to do next week, let alone one month from now. Um, mm. Yeah. And that's, um, that's a really interesting point you make about the, about the future and the, the, you know, even when, when this is over, is it really over and will it ever be over? Uh, this, that's, <laughs> these all seem like valid questions at the moment. And, but uh, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about, you know, I know that your your calling is very much to the city of Vancouver. You, you, it exudes from you when you when you talk, and it's a, a wonderful thing. You, you're very well placed as a person. You're, 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 the place you're in is important to you, and um, working out what does the gospel mean for Vancouver today and in the days to come is something that I know you just live with as a uh, as a calling. Uh, so I wonder about in the days to come in outworking what is a really traumatic event that has happened for us all. What do you think about the future when we think sort of strategically as the church um, or prophetically as the church, what, do, what do we see ahead and how are you, how are you planning for that? What are you, what are you seeing? Yeah. I was fortunate. I was invited to a zoom meeting with some international leaders and one of the leaders um, pastored a fairly large church through nine 11 in New York. And he talked about how on that first Sunday after 9-11, his church immediately grew by 25%. So it went from 3,000 people to 4,000 people. And yet they immediately saw a drop in giving by 25%. So they grew by 25%, but had 25% less financial resource. And so that was a huge opportunity and challenge for how do we care for all these new people when we have less resources. Uh, but he said the real challenge started kicking in around the year and a half, two-year point after 9-11. Because once things kind of settled down and the adrenaline wears off and the people who've lost loved ones who've just been powering through each day to take care of their kids or their family, when that starts falling apart, when the leaders who've just been going, 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 run out, he said that's when they started seeing just an overwhelming mental health crisis. Hmm. And so he was inviting leaders to consider that after this, we're going to have a mental health crisis. Um, and this is a very strange sort of, I like that you use the word trauma. I think people are 
reticent to use that. You see all these memes comparing now to, to like world wars where, you know, people are sleeping in subways and worrying about bombs and having to line up in, in food, uh, for food, you know, and yeah, that that's terrible. Uh, and the difference is huge. But one significant difference is they could actually do it together mm. and they could still have support. They could still hug one another. They could still touch. They could cry with each other. And by no means am I saying I'd choose one or the other. If you gave me a, would you rather it's one of those neither. Right. Mm. But it is a trauma. It's different. It has its own qualities. Mm. It has its own, um, effect on us. And, and so what I'm thinking about as a leader is, especially in the church, how are we going to see the rebuilding? That's the first question, right? You know, we just, we can't assume that once we can gather again, that things are going to go back to normal. Mm -hmm. um, I think we're going to have kind of different kinds of measures for quite some time. But the other is um, when all of this finally starts taking its toll in a visible way, when we start seeing people struggling to do their work or get out of bed or uh, to care well for their family because they can't care for themselves. Um, and so I'm, I'm thinking through that. I've initiated conversations with you, obviously, about what can we do uh, to try to help people get accessible uh, counseling resources, uh, but also what does the church need to be doing? And uh, one thing we're doing proactively is we're running the sanctuary course this summer. And that's just not to plug you guys, but to say, how do we better equip our church to prepare for what's to come? And uh, BC also offers uh, mental health first aid. Now, I'm not sure yet if they are offering a virtual training, uh, but we're trying to identify people to send through that so that we have people ready um, to care for one another. And it's not all just going to fall on the leaders of our church. Yeah. Wow. No, that's very good. It's great to hear that you're, you're putting those things in place. And I think that that whole thing of, you know, this this trauma isn't as bad as that trauma. Um, people can say that with good intentions. I was in a meeting the other day where someone was talking about, uh, you know, refugees who'd come in from very traumatic, I mean, horrendously traumatic circumstances. And, and they were sort of speculating and saying, well, you know, this isn't such a big deal for us, you know. Like we get to be indoors, it's better than you know war or some horrendous things that experience. Um, and so this person was offering this as a way of saying, well, we just need a bit of perspective. And of course, one of the things at Sanctuary that we know full well is that every individual person's experience of life is different from the next. And 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 if we start playing comparisons with, well, my pain isn't as bad as yours, or my pain's worse than yours, you shouldn't feel. Then we get ourselves into all kinds of mess. I, I, I think, as you've said, rather than try and compare or say it's less or worse, I think we just need to say this is horrendous. And there are many people at the moment that are that are in an unimaginable, unimaginable pain um, to be isolated, to be lonely. People who don't have enough money and can't eat, you know, and don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. These are in our particularly in our world today. These are terrifying times for, for many people and um it was great the way you started and saying you acknowledge the, the the privilege i guess i feel so privileged living in canada right now i right. feel such immense gratitude and I, it's not like i moved here from a, a war-torn country i i moved from england and, and i would probably feel privileged if i live there but i'm just so grateful for canada but i know that um 
I have many friends who are struggling immensely and I'm sure people in your congregation who are struggling immensely at the moment. So, um, yeah, want to validate their pain. I found for me, comparing suffering has never generated perspective per se. Um, mm. I think people intend that and they mean well possibly by that. Um, but there can often be an undertone of trying to motivate people by shame or guilt rather than motivate, motivate people with compassion and love. Mm. You know, and and to to do that, you need to meet someone and affirm their dignity, not tell them from the get go, well, you're wrong. You shouldn't be, you know, what are you complaining about? People have it worse. It's like, well, that's true of every day of life. And yeah. yes, that perspective happens, helps some. You know, my I remember once my wife was um, upset about something and in a weak moment, because I'd just been reading, reading the news, it's like, well, we're not in Aleppo. How bad can it be? And it became kind of a, well, it's not Aleppo suffering. And that's true for us in the West. We're never suffering in the same ways as some people around the world. But that doesn't mean we're not suffering. Mm. And I think trying to qualify suffering in intensities, there's truth to it, but it's not always helpful. Mm. And so it's, it's one of those cases where, yeah, you're probably right, but you're possibly wrong in the way that you're right. And, and so it's a very challenging thing because you don't want to just close your eyes to the world. But if I'm honest, even in this moment, I've had to be like, I can only handle so much perspective. Mm. I, I, I need to actually limit how much perspective I have into the suffering of the world because there's just too much and I'm, I'm finite and I only have a limited ability to feel compassion. And, and those are hard limits to accept because we want to care for everything and yet don't have the capacity to. Yeah, and that's a, that's something that I know I've wrestled with over my whole life. From a very young age, I remember this thought. When you when you when you get in touch with or you see pain or suffering, when you really get to grips with it, whether it be your own or someone else's, but you confront it. Um I think my response has always been the same. There is this moment of I can describe it as like brokenness, which the way it manifests itself is to say, God, I don't know how you can take it. Like there's almost like empathy for God because it, you know, as the one who is sustaining and holding all this together and the one who's present to all of this, um, it's an overwhelming, I mean, it should be an overwhelming thought, but I think, Maybe in these moments, well, no, I guess in these moments where we, we go from talking about play and joy to pain and immense suffering, and God is somehow involved and present to these extremes all one in the same time. And I'm really glad he is, but it's an overwhelming thought. So I guess to lay that down and say, God, I, yeah, I don't know how you do it, but but you do. And um I'm glad I didn't have to hold all this. Alistair, I'm really grateful for the time, for the conversation. It's always great to talk to you. Thank you so much for uh, for sharing with us and being so open. It's been a, a real gift. Yeah, and thank you for having me. It's been a, a joy in my day to spend some time with you. And hopefully this is of encouragement to others too. I think it will be. And, and just to plug a few things... Um, Alistair leads St. Peter's Fireside. You can look up online. They have a rather excellent blog that you can look up. You have, do you have an Instagram? You have 
social media? Hi, yeah, kind of. Okay. Necessary evil, but yes. Yes, exactly. Well, in these times, we're kind of grateful for these, these yeah. communications. But so you can find St. Peter's Fireside on social media. Um, yeah. And, and and look up Alistair and his work. They do some great work as a church. They're a very creative bunch. So um, look them up. And if you like this resource, please share it with someone. You can look up all our resources online at sanctuarymentalhealth.org, including our newly launched uh, Faith, Grief, and COVID-19 resource, a full-part discussion guide, film-based guide for you, or our Sanctuary course, which is an eight-week um, course, which actually features Alistair. So there's a reason alone to download the Sanctuary course and use it. God bless you, and uh, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Sanctuary Mental Health Ministries exists to equip the church to be a sanctuary for all people at all stages of their mental wellness journeys. May this podcast encourage you to create safe space for your own story and the stories of others, as well as create change in communities that stigmatize those suffering with mental health challenges. The Sanctuary Course is a small group resource designed to help initiate and guide conversations about mental health and faith. It is a starting point, creating a base of shared knowledge from which churches can explore the next steps. Perhaps most importantly, through the simple act of talking openly about mental health, the course helps churches begin to create safe spaces for people to share their mental health stories and receive support in community. Each theme in the course is explored from a psychological, social, and theological perspective, and each session is accompanied by a compelling film focused on an individual's story, a person of faith who has journeyed through mental health challenges. Interested in exploring the Sanctuary Course for use in your community? Learn more at sanctuarycourse.com. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives 4.0 license. Don't change it or sell it, but please share it all you like.